morning. It is a great privilege. Uh, it is a great joy personally for me to, to be back in the Mother Church and to uh, be with all of you this morning. I bring um, greetings from the Saints in Cladno. Uh, my wife, <clears throat> my children as well, uh, send their greetings. and It will be a far more joyful experience for me if they're with me this morning, um, but they're with me in my heart. <clears throat> and I have a task this morning to minister to you. And so with that in mind, I just ask you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, the Gospel of Mark. <clears throat> I'm mindful that you've, uh, you've been in this book uh, for a while and that Pastor John has preached this. And so um, but same kids, same dog, same sermons. <laughs> so when, when I'm preaching everything in the check, it, it takes me some time to get them back into English. And so I appreciate your, your patience. Um, if I don't make sense, it is because I'm, my brain is in two worlds. But we're going to attempt to make our way through uh, Mark chapter 6. The focus of our time this morning is verses 14 uh, through, 9, through 29. But for context, I'm going to read uh, <clears throat> verses 14. Actually, let's start in uh, verse 1 and make our way down through 30. Mark 6, verse 1. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things, and, and what is this wisdom given him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives in his own household. He could do no miracle there except this, that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except the mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. And any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. They went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointed with oil. They were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. And King Herod heard of it. For his name, Jesus' name, had become well known. And people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, he is Elijah. And others were saying, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard... He kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, is risen. For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother, Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, 
knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. A strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went down and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths, and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard about it, they came and took the body away and laid it in a tomb. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what appears to be a text that has little to do with us will be by your spirit, so practical for us. So we pray very humbly that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, soft and tender and pliable hearts to receive the word of God, implanted which is able to save and to sanctify the soul. We pray this in your name. Amen. The title of this morning's sermon is Courage and Cowardice, A Tale of Two Men. As I said before, the focus of our text, the focus of our sermon is verses 14 through 29. Familiar with the story, it's a rather shocking story, a a gruesome story. I'd say it's one of the most vivid and dramatic in the New Testament. But the question we have to ask as we approach this text is, why is it here? Why did the Holy Spirit deem that this text would be inserted in the middle of a different story? We, we read that Jesus Christ prepared his men, gave them authority, power to preach, power to heal, power to cast out demons. But then as almost a segue, we get into this story of, of John the Baptist. Why? Is it just a biogra- biographical section? Is it, is it a tribute to a, to a godly man? What is the point of this historical account? Well, that's our goal this morning, is firstly to, to walk through this fascinating account the Holy Spirit has given to us, which will lead us, secondly, to grasp its real significance, and thirdly, to apply it to our own day, 2,000 years later. So I want you to notice again, first of all, just the context. Christ gave his man authority. Like John the Baptist, they've been sent out to preach They've been sent out to call sinners to repentance, to call sinners to faith in God. These aren't just pastors. They're not just traveling evangelists. But they're ambassadors of Jesus Christ himself. They've been given authority and power. But interestingly, instead of following that story, 
Mark takes us into the life of one of the most powerful men in Israel to show us how he reacts to the news of Christ's ministry. Verse 14 says, And King Herod heard of it, for his name had become well known. Now, this is not Herod the Great. This is Herod the Tetrarch, meaning ruler of a fourth. He's one of the ten sons of Herod the Great. He was known as Herod Antipas. And like his father, he was a worm. He was scheming. He was conniving. He was violent. He was deceitful. And he was dangerous. But when this powerful man heard about the powerful ministry of Christ, he was afraid. All the Jews are thinking, man, this is Elijah, one of the prophets. And yet Herod thinks that it's John the Baptist risen from the dead. And Mark tells us exactly why he thought this. He had executed John. He says very clearly, John, whom I beheaded, whose body was severed from his head, is risen. Verse 17 begins to relate the story of why. Herod is haunted by what he had done in the past. Verse 17, For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. A famous Jewish historian, Josephus, tells us that John was taken to the fortress Macheris. As the former fortress of his father, it was up high on a mountain, high above uh, even the city of Jerusalem in the desert. Magnificent palace, but more significantly, it had a very, very infamous dungeon. A dungeon that had been dug very deeply into the rock. It was impenetrable. It was inescapable. It was a nightmare. If you follow what's happening in, in Iran and you hear about some of our brothers and sisters that are imprisoned there, they're often taken to the prison called Evan, and very rarely do they come out alive. If you've seen uh, maybe the movie Ben-Hur, and you remember towards the end of the movie where uh, we find out where his mother and his sister have been taken deep into the recesses of these caves and put into a hole in a wall with a door in complete and utter darkness, damp and cold and left alone to rot and to die. And that's exactly what happened in this place. Archaeologists have discovered many places where prisoners were chained to the walls, their bodies were left to rot after they had starved to death. And this is where John finds himself. The question is, why? Why has he been placed in such a horrible place? Why? What crime has he committed? Verse 18 tells us his offense. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. John the Baptist had been telling the most powerful man in Israel, and confronting him to his face, that he was living in open and blatant rebellion against God. He confronted him regarding his immorality. He called out his sin, confronted him to his face. History tells us that Herod's half-brother Philip was married to a stunningly beautiful woman named Herodias. And during a trip to Rome, he convinced his brother's wife to leave her husband, and to come with him. And she did. 
sin didn't stop there. It wasn't just that he stole his half-brother's wife. It's not just an adulterous marriage. It's, a, it's an incestuous marriage. For Herodias was the daughter of Aristobulus, another half-brother of Herod. So Herod's now married to his niece. And so with amazing courage and a love for righteousness, John the baptizer stands in front of one of the most powerful men in Judea and confronts him for a sin of stealing another man's wife. Now, as you study these two men, Mark, what he masterfully does is he sets these two men side by side. He puts Herod next to John the Baptist. And they have some similarities. Both were appointed by God to lead his people. Both had authority, one as king, the other as prophet. Both were famous public figures. Both were loved and hated. Both were influential and important. Both represented kings. Herod represented Caesar. And John the Baptist represented Jesus Christ. But the similarities end there. These men could not have been any different. From this single verse, we see the kind of man that John the Baptist was and the kind of man that Herod was. John was a bold preacher of righteousness. Herod was an ungodly man. John feared no man. Herod was such a coward, he imprisoned a man for his words. John was a celibate. He was incredibly self-controlled, set apart to serve God, devoted his entire life to studying the word and then the last few years of his life preaching it. Herod was a hypocrite who pretended to worship God so that the Jews would approve him. He was a wretched adulterer, enslaved and ensnared by his own lusts, filled with the fear of Rome, filled with fear that Rome would come and remove him from his power just like it had done to some of his other brothers. But again, John, on the other hand, is is a man of boldness who has been commissioned by God not to prepare the way for King Herod, but to prepare the way for King Jesus. He preaches the word with no regard for his life, but with great regard for Herod's. All of us, when we think of John the Baptist, I think we think of him as maybe some, some street preacher, some, some hellfire and brimstone guy, just the wrath of God is coming. And that was just, just one note, his one trick pony. We need to understand that, that God sent John the Baptist in grace. God sent John the Baptist in mercy. We need to study no further than to look at Jonah. Why did God send Jonah to 120,000 people? Why? Because he longs for sinners to repent and to be saved, to be spared from the wrath of God. That's the same reason that God sent John the Baptist. This is the same reason that John the Baptist stood before the king and confronted him to his face. It was an act of mercy. It was an act of grace. God, through John the Baptist, was giving Herod an opportunity to repent. John, through his preaching, was calling Herod salvation and repentance. I see very clearly the principle here of boldness and righteousness together. Proverbs 28, verse 1 says that the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. John feared God and did what God told him to do, and he gave him the gift of boldness to do it. 
John didn't care who he was preaching to. He didn't care who he was called to confront. But he did care for the souls of those that he was preaching to. And we see here, Herod didn't want to hear the truth. And neither did his brother's wife. Look at verse 19. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. Now, it's very likely that Herodias was, as we'll see later, the main reason why uh, John the Baptist was arrested. She hated this man with a passion. She loathed him. She loathed this man who dared tell her what she could and what she could not do. And so she wanted to take his life. She wanted to kill him, but she had one problem. She had the will, but she did not have the power. Verse 20 tells us why. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. And he kept him safe, and when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. This is a very perplexing sentence, a very perplexing verse. Herod had never met another man like John. The contrast between himself and John was was evident in his own mind. Herod was a man-pleaser. He did whatever it took to get a woman, to get power, to get fame, to get glory. He would say anything to anybody to get what he wanted. He flattered Caesar, which, by the way, in the end led him to being exiled. And he flattered Herodias to get her to go home with him. He was a manipulator. He was a scoundrel. But John, this man, was the complete opposite. Complete opposite of who he was. He didn't want any power. He didn't need any woman. He wasn't enslaved to food or wine. And he wasn't afraid of rebuking the most powerful man in Israel. John was a real man. And he was everything, I believe. He was everything that Herod wanted to be. Herod wanted to have true respect from people. True respect comes from real godliness and righteousness, and Herod had none of that. John was a righteous man, free from sin. Herod was enslaved, and he was miserable. And this is why he's perplexed when he listens to John. The word perplexed means to be without resources. It means to know not which way to turn. He would listen to this guy, and he's just these conflicting emotions in his heart and in his mind. He knows that he's speaking the truth, but he knows he doesn't want to obey it. And yet, he keeps hearing the truth, and he knows he has no joy. His conscience is filled with regret. He's torn up by sin, and he's enslaved to it. So Mark says he used to enjoy listening to him. Why? Why would he enjoy listening to someone confront him about his sin? Why would Herod purposely go down to the dungeon or call him up to listen to a man just repetitively tell him that he's living in sin? And I'll I'll tell you why I think. I think it's because John the Baptist was the only person in his life who spoke truth to him. Every person that he he spoke to, he knew was just like him. Every person Herod spoke to, he knew, they're just talking to me because they want something from me. They want a special favor. They want some power. They want some money. They want something. They want some land. John the Baptist was the only person who spoke to him because he truly loved him. And he truly cared for him. And Herod had never spoken to another man who actually cared for him. Who actually wanted nothing from him. Herod's own wife 
like him was an adulteress. He was a liar. She used him like he used her. Couldn't trust his own wife. Couldn't trust the men around him. Couldn't trust Rome. In fact, he couldn't even leave his wife. I think he was miserable. He couldn't even leave his wife. He had not only stolen her, but the... (laughs) The fallout of him stealing her resulted in a war. He had to fight a war over this woman. So to leave her now at this point would have made him look like the biggest idiot in all of the Roman Empire. This guy is stuck. There's no way out. He has to listen to her lies, her whining, dripping faucet. We see how powerful the trap of lust is. He's now reaping what he's sown. And Mark says that, but when the time allowed, he would go to John and he would listen to John speak truth. Brothers and sisters, I think it's a strange irony because I think that John the Baptist was the closest friend that Herod ever had. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. John was wounding Herod with the word of God. But Solomon says, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And that describes Herod's wife. Look at verse 21. A strategic day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. A strategic day, right? The, the word strategic there is the eukairos. Right? You guys, you Greek gurus know that. The eu meaning good and kairos, speaking of a, of a divine opportunity. So eukairos is like, a, this is a golden opportunity. This is the golden egg. This is the moment that, that, this, that someone, at least, we're going to find out who, who's been waiting for. Whose plan is this? For who is it a, is it a kairos moment? When Herod on his birthday gave a banquet, the time came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So, he's got a birthday bash, everyone's there, the lords, these are the politicians, the commanders, these are the military men, military leaders, and the leading men are the important men, the rich men, the influential Jews, known as the Herodians. Jews who sided with Herod. And they're all invited to Herod's big birthday bash. Now, his parties were uh, notorious. They were, in fact, so famous for their ungodliness that Herod's birthday became a euphemism for wickedness. And here's the proof, verse 22. And when the daughter of Herodias... You might want to read there, when when Herod's stepdaughter came in herself and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. So, these men are drunk, they're powerful, this beautiful one dances for them. And he was so moved, he says, Whatever you... He swore to you, whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. Now, the word of God is holy. It doesn't go into detail, but you need to understand that she, didn't, well, she wasn't doing ballet, okay? 
One commentator put it, we can only imagine what kind of dance prompted Antipas to promise up to half of my kingdom. What's this young woman doing? She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Friends, this is the strategic moment. This was not some lucky opportunity. This was not an accident. The entire evening had been planned by Herodias. The dance was not a birthday present for her husband. It was a trap. She knew her husband's lust. And her, her husband's lust was the only reason that she was now married to him. She knew his just incessant desire for immorality and more women. And she knew that he didn't love her. He just loved her decaying flesh. She's getting older. And now her young daughter is the beautiful one. And now her own husband is lusting after her own daughter. And she uses him as a pawn in her plan. She sets a trap and uses her own teenage daughter as the bait. I don't even think her daughter understands. Salome is supposedly her name. I don't even think she knows that she's been used. She runs to her mom. Right? She's just gleaming. She's thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a princess. Half the kingdom, mom. I mean, we, can ask for, we can ask for a fortress. We can ask for a palace. We can ask for lands. I mean, anything we want, half of it, it's ours. All because I danced. She has no idea that her own mom used her like a piece of meat. She didn't know how cunning, selfish, and seductive her own mom was. And she was willing to do anything to get what she wanted. And so having set the most, so this perfect trap, having her own husband having boasted now, the trap is set. It was a prideful oath. It was not intended to show how gracious and generous he was. It was intended to show how rich and powerful he was. And this is why the trap is so perfect, because instead, in comparison with what he offered, the request was breadcrumbs. He offered Solomon half the kingdom, and all she asked for was half a body. Verse 26 says, And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. And I want you to note those words very carefully. And although the king was very sorry... Yet, because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. He was sorry. Why was he sorry? I think, first of all, because he knew he'd been tricked. He's a politician. And he just realized he just got one-upped by his own wife. But the second reason he's sorry is because he wanted to say no. He knew that such a request was the one thing he could not do. He was ready to give this princess half the kingdom. He was ready to set up her throne next to his. He was ready to do anything for her. And his own wife knew it. She knew she could bring down a grown man with a teenage girl. And she was right. Herod stepped right into the trap, swore to the gods before all the peoples what he would do. 
But when he heard her request, his heart stopped beating, and he suddenly saw what had happened. The one thing that he had denied his wife all year, he was suddenly forced to oblige. Why? Now we're getting to where we need to be going. Why did he say yes? Why did he give in? And the answer is because Herod was a coward. He was sorry, yet. He knew it was wrong, yet. It was the one thing he would have never said yes to, yet. He knew that John was a righteous man, that he was a godly man. He knew that he was a right man, that what he spoke to him was true. That this man was the only man who would speak truth to him. And yet, because he was a coward, he took his life. He knew that it was the worst decision that he'd ever made in his life. Yet because he feared the opinions of man, he said yes. Brothers and sisters, we need, we need to mark this. We need to write it down. We need to write it on our foreheads and write it across our hearts. The fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man brings a snare. Proverbs 29, 25 says so. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. The fear of man will lead you to do things you never thought that you would do. The fear of man will lead you to do things you never imagined that you could do. Herod didn't want to kill John, but he feared man. Peter did not want to deny Christ, but he feared man. No Christian sets out to disobey Christ or to deny Him or to compromise their faith, but how many have done so because they fear man? There's only one remedy for the fear of man, and it is trust in the Lord. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. If Herod would have listened to John, he could have said no to his wife. If Herod would have feared God, he would not have feared his wife, he would not have feared the guest. They might have laughed. They might have left Herod. He might have been branded Herod the coward. But if he would, he would have listened to John, he would have saved his soul. He would have been imparted with the Spirit of God. He would have been filled with great boldness and repentance. And he would have been filled with great joy, having been freed and rescued from his enslavement to sin. Yet... Feared man. Verse 27 says, Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison. And he brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. Brothers and sisters, why is this so tragic? It's not just gruesome. A beautiful woman holding a silver platter with a bloodied behead. This is a tale of dark irony because she is holding the head of the only man that ever loved her. Her first husband probably didn't love her. Her second husband loved her because of her body. And the rest of the world pretended to love her. She was a wretched woman. 
She had no moral bone, no fibers in her body. It's very possible she loathed even her own self. But here's the one man who loved her. Here's the one man in all the world who cared for her soul and wanted to see her rescued from the wrath of God. Here's here is probably the only man that she has ever met who didn't want anything from her. Didn't want her body. Didn't want her flesh. Didn't want her money. Wanted no favors from her. But wanted everything for her. This is the, this is the kind of man that she had been looking for her whole life. A man who would speak the truth to her. A man who would truly be concerned about her. A man who would truly shepherd her. The only man in the world who ever loved her. And now she's holding his severed head on a platter. So we ask the question now. Why is this story here? Is it a biography of John? Yeah. Is it a lesson on the fear of man? It certainly is. Do you fear man? I do. Are you, are you guilty of fearing man? Are you guilty of, of being concerned with what other people think of you? Are you guilty at times of, of knowing you're sitting next to someone? Lost. They're under the wrath of God. And you're sitting here enjoying maybe a burger or you're enjoying a, a bus ride and you know knowingly that this person, they're on the bus to hell. And yet instead of opening your mouth, you close it. Silent. Talk about the weather. Why? Because we're afraid. But that's not why the story is here. The story is not about you, but it's for you. This story is an account, it is a foreshadowing of the cross. John the Baptist is the forerunner of Jesus Christ, his life foreshadows. The life of Christ. The parallels are, are evident. Both preached boldly. Both are hated for what they preached. Both are illegally arrested. Both John and Jesus are executed by political tyrants who, who fear them, but fear man more. And notice that both executors were tricked. They were pressured. Herod was, was, was tricked by his own wife, and Pilate was tricked by the Jews. And both died the deaths of criminals, even though they were righteous. Both, both died abandoned by the world. But John's death only foreshadows a far greater death. John died because he preached against sin. But Jesus died because he paid for it. John died because he went into the presence of a powerful man. And confronted him to his face. Brothers and sisters, 
Jesus died because he went into the presence of God, saturated, anointed with your sins and mine. He went into the Holy of Holies, completely covered in my sin, in my shame, in my fear of man. A missionary. How can a missionary fear man? But I do. I have. Christ went in to the Holy of Holies with my sins, your sins, your shame, your pride, your arrogance, your fear of school children, of your boss and of your neighbor. And he stood before Almighty God and was crushed by his holy John's life is just a foreshadow of the greatest life that was ever lived and the greatest death that ever took place. Verse 29 says, ironically, just foreshadowing almost the irony that's to come. When his disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. I want you to note here the boldness of his disciples. The the disciples of John the Baptist boldly went to the most dangerous place in all of Israel before the most dangerous man in the country and asked for the, the dead body of their master. Give us the sawn body of John the Baptist. These men were incredibly bold. And yet, what about Jesus' disciples? Where was their boldness when their master was arrested? Where was their boldness when when their master's body was taken down off the cross? Jesus' disciples were cowards. Not one of them was filled with zeal to protect him. Not one of them jumped into the parade to slay a centurion. Not one of them put up a fight. Not one of them protested or said a word. And after he died, not one of them asked for his body. Why? Because they were cowards. And brothers and sisters, the greatest hope for you and for me this morning is that Jesus Christ died for cowards. He died for sinners. He died for weaklings. He died for chickens like Peter, like James, like John, like Marcus. He died to pay for those who were too afraid and too enslaved to sin to do what is right. But we need to understand very carefully now at the end. Jesus did not simply die to pay for that sin. He died to free us from it. He died so that we do not any longer have to be afraid of flesh and blood. 
And he has died for this sin so that now we can love sinners the way John did. Brothers and sisters, we're so concerned with what the world thinks of us. We are so consumed and self-centered. What does this person think of me? What do they think of my appearance? What do they think of my hair? What do they think of my breath? What do they think of my intelligence? What do they think of my education? What do they think of my car? What do they think of my house? What do they think of this? What do they think of that? It doesn't matter. What matters is, what does God think of them? Where are they going when they die? You're going to heaven forever. To be with Christ, to worship Him, and to be filled with eternal glory and joy. Millions of people packed in this concrete jungle are going to be separated. They're going to be lowered into an eternal volcano to pay for their sins forever. John the Baptist knew that. He preached that. And he pled with sinners. Come to Christ. Come to God. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are the means by which we no longer have to fear man. We are freed from looking for the approval of man because you have approval from God. That's why this story is here. Not so that you would strive to be like John, but that you would strive to trust in Christ. This text calls us to look to Christ, look to the cross. This is the only way to slay this beast. Brothers and sisters, I say it again. This sin is in my life. I'm a missionary. I preach the gospel. I speak to people about Christ. But there are times when I'm afraid. There are times when I fear. There are times when I'm more concerned about what that person thinks about what I'm going to say than I am concerned about his soul. And it cannot be that way. It must not be that way. So I plead with you, brothers and sisters, this morning. Look to Christ again. Be willing, by the power of the Spirit, to say to people what no one else has said and what no one else will say. To speak the truth. This text is not calling everyone to be a John the Baptist. I guess you can wipe your brow. It's not calling all of you to take on some clothes made of camel's hair and to eat locusts and to stand out on the street corner with a big white sign and to exclaim the wrath of God. John Crick needs to do that. I'll do it with you. But brothers and sisters, we must, we must tell people the truth. We must love them. And the greatest, the, the greatest way that you can love lost sinners is to tell them that they're lost and to tell them that Christ came to find them. If you have not come to Christ, I want to ask you this morning what you're going to do with the only man who has ever loved you. What are you going to do with the only man who has ever loved you? Jesus Christ is the only perfect man, and therefore he is the only one who has ever perfectly loved you. 
He is the only person who has never, ever wanted to use you. He is the only person who has never needed you because he is in need of something from you. He came to give and to give his life a ransom for many. So I ask you, how have you responded to his generosity? How will you respond to him? Are you a Herod? Are you a Herod who fears man? Maybe you're here this morning, you've heard the gospel many times. You're thinking about the scriptures, but you have not yet repented. And maybe one of the reasons is because you're afraid. You're afraid of what people will think. Daniel Adamowski is now one of our elders. It took him eight years to come to Christ. Eight years from the first time he heard the gospel to the day that he finally professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and was openly professing. It took him eight years. The last three years, he was diligently reading the scriptures. He was diligently talking with Peter Smith, talking with other believers. He was even going to church. And Peter finally said, Daniel, what's holding you back from submitting to Jesus Christ? What's holding you back to, from identifying publicly with Christ? And he said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what my dad will think and say and do if I identify with Christ. And so, by God's grace, when the Holy Spirit finally worked and gave him the gift of faith and he believed, and he told his dad, Dad, I'm, I'm a follower of Christ now. His dad said, you've been reading that Bible for three years, son. What took you so long? Brothers and sisters, I often think that we're, we're more afraid of fear than we are of the, of the truth. We, 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 we imagine what we think is going to happen, but it rarely happens that way. Yeah, persecution's coming. Yeah, trials are coming, sure. But most of the time, what we're afraid of is just a facade. It's just, a, it's just you know, what we think is going to happen, and it never happens that way. Don't be a Herod. Don't, don't, don't exchange your soul because you're more afraid of man. Be afraid of God. Fear him and bow before him. Or maybe you have a heart like Herodias. You still despise the only one who has ever loved you. So my friends, my question is this. What else could Jesus Christ do for you to prove his love and his affections for you? There is nobody anywhere at any time that will ever come, that will ever be able to love you more than Jesus Christ. He laid down his life on the cross and faced the fierce wrath of God. He drank the full cup. He took your sins and your filth and your unrighteousness on himself for you. You must see that he loves you. Receive him. Humble yourself before him. Lay down your earthly life who laid down everything for you. Come to Christ. Destroy the fear of man. Trust in the Lord. Be exalted. And know his joy in your souls forever and ever. Amen. Dear Lord Jesus, we bow before you this morning. And we thank you for going to the cross for us.
Lord, in this room, at this very moment, every single one of us is plagued by the fear of man. Lord, we are plagued by a multitude of sins, but this morning you have spoken to this one particular aspect of your lives. And Lord, this text brings us, Lord, to, to, to crisis. It confronts us again of our desperate need for you. Please help us. Please transform us. Lord, Cornerstone Bible Church, we don't want to be known as churches that just are Bible beaters. We don't want to be those. We don't want to be fundamentalists. We don't want to have a name that we're just... We don't want to be known as John the Baptist. But Lord, we don't understand. We don't understand. John the Baptist loved men's souls. He was motivated by eternity. He was willing to speak the truth. I pray, God, you would raise up Lord John the Baptist in our midst. Men motivated by grace, motivated by the truth, willing to despise the shame that many and all of us, Lord, we might sit down with you in the kingdom. We thank you again for your, your mercies and for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that you are with us always, even to the end of the age. In your name we pray. Amen.